Two weeks ago, I talked about church, and I told you a story about some guys that I've been talking to at the gym and just interesting conversations we've had where they, they haven't had good experiences in church, at least one of them in particular, and he's pretty mouthy. So because of that, I end up, I, I'm not attracted to that kind of person, but I feel like I have a responsibility to, in, to help him. I just feel like, man, you've missed it. Somehow you've missed what church is about. And if that's your attitude about it, I feel like, not, I, I do feel defensive, not, not for me, not for our church, because he's never been here. But I feel defensive for the church. I, have a, I feel a camaraderie with church, churches around the world. And it's not like every church is the same, and, and I don't believe they should be. And we've talked about that, and we will talk about that tonight. But, but with that said, just a little bit of review. The church has always been under attack. Don't be surprised as a Christian. It's always been under attack from day one. Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower, you'll be persecuted. I've been persecuted, but don't worry about that because I've overcome the world. So that's not a surprise. Shouldn't be a surprise. Something else, I think you need to be careful with comparisons, church to church, and, and church competition. I really do believe that as the church of Jesus Christ, we are one. We're different. We're different expressions of his body, and I'm okay with that. I've had people ask me, well... I don't know, man. These churches are all different and preach different things. And I said, well, yeah, yes and no. We still have the central gospel that's the same. And if we are a little different on a few things, I'm okay with that. If we do church a little different, I'm okay with that. Years ago, I did this Bible. Years ago, I was involved in a lot of work. I was a youth pastor in the L.A. area, and we, we, did, we had high school Bible studies on all the campuses in our area. These were large schools in the Long Beach School District where they would run the schools themselves would run close to 4,000, so usually the classes are close to 1,000. You know, graduations were painful because you'd be there for hours and hours. Just, just them reading the names would take an hour. So I, got, I finally figured it out years later. I'd just go, I would just go like an hour in, half in, you know, because if they see me coming out, they, they could never find me in the stands anyway. But, but here we are. We, we did these Bible studies, and we raised up a lot of student leaders and there was two years we did this, and it was an amazing thing. I was inspired by them because what happened is one of the students said, we need training. W- would you guys do a training for us? How about Friday morning at 6 a.m.? <laughs> what? 6 a.m.? Okay. And then they said, and we'll need a ride. So if you just do the math, I got to get them, get them there. And, and then I need to get a lot of them to school because we'd do it in one location. It wouldn't be there by their school. So there's a lot of logistics involved, but I figured if they're going to get up, I'm going to get up right? So we were doing one of these trainings, and we were talking about church, and the guy that I did this with, he's still 30, I think he's in his 33rd year of Youth for Christ ministry in, in that area there. He's, he's a champion to me, an amazing guy. But we, we were talking, and we are talking about church and, you know, how churches are different, because we have people from all different churches. It wasn't about that. It was about what, what we believe centrally in Christ and how we can share that with peers on the high school campus. So uh, we were talking about church, and, and uh, my friend Al Siebert, he said, well, you guys probably don't realize, you know, what we do some things that are really different than you guys do. And I said, you guys, what do you mean, all of us? He goes, I'm sure we do. Because he's part of the brethren denomination, which I knew the church. I've even been in his church. But I didn't know they did this. Every service, they do foot washing and communion every service. Every service. I said, wow, okay. Cindy said, huh <laughs> You don't want people washing your feet? I, I'm uncomfortable with that, I got to say, a little bit. I mean, not one foot. I wouldn't mind giving them one foot, but... Uh, anyway, the, they do that, and then he said this. He said, plus, when we do baptism, we go forward. I said, what? He goes, well, we, we, do, so we do immersion, which not all churches do that, but you know how when we do baptism, we lay the person kind of backward in the water. What they do is they lay them forward. He says, all we do is just kind of guide them down forward, and then they stand back up. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. 
We're still Christians though, right? We're still brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, something else to never forget is the, the church belongs to Jesus. And he takes it personally. He said, it's my church. My church. And it is his church. It is his church. We represent him on this earth. And everything we do in his name or the name of the church, he does take it personally. It's his church. Never forget that. Jesus gives gifts to the church with a purpose that was that Ephesians 4, uh, where it talks about pastors, you know, apostles, prophets, all that. And the idea is that he gives those gifts to the church. And then the purpose is to equip you as the church, because you're the church. The church is people, not a building. You to do the work of the ministry. A lot of times we, we... we think it's going to be done by professionals. And one of the struggles, a lot of the churches I've worked at were larger. And what, what we noticed in working in a larger church is people figure, we pay them, they're professionals, they do the work. And, and the problem with that is, that's not how God set it up. I mean, a larger church it does function a little differently than a smaller church. But the fact is that, that the pastor's job is to equip people to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry. It's, it's people who do it. Uh, so let me ask you, let's, let's talk about something different. What's the best thing about church? Best thing about church, you tell me. I'm not talking about this church. Let's, let's try to do this. Let's, let's not make it this church, but the church. You like the songs the best. Okay. What? Okay, you like it all. All right. Jesus. Okay. Fellowship with other believers. Good news. All right. You, oh, it's... <laughs> Say what? The spirit? Okay. Uh, Let's start with the gospel, because that is the best thing. The good news is the good news. And the church is Jesus' plan for reaching the world. Now, let me tell you, I've said this before. I will probably say it every time it it fits in a sermon, because I don't know if I'd have trusted us with this. No offense to you, but I'm just saying, he's God. And when he wanted to reach people, he sent his son. But, and, and you would think that that would be the plan from then on. I mean, who better to do it than him? But he didn't set it up that way. He set it up for us to do it. And he chose the church to be the vehicle by which to do it. Now, there's other Christian ministries outside the church. We call them a lot of times parachurch. They come alongside the church to do ministry. You know, whether that's homeless ministry or, or, or you know, drug rehab or whatever. There's a million different kinds of ministries like that. But my point is, he trusted us to continue spreading the good news. When he sent out his disciples, I often, as I read through the New Testament and the Gospels, and I think about... I don't know how much training he gave them. You know, as we see it, you see his teaching, you know that the 12 followed along with him. And very likely there were others who followed with him, maybe not as close as the 12. But when he sends out at 1.72, another point he sends out 120. That's his plan, yo. That's his plan for us, is we do the, we spread the gospel. It's us. And that is the good news, and that's what the church is about. But the next thing that I want to emphasize for just a minute here is the fellowship part. Because I do believe that that's one thing that the church has that most people don't get in the world much. How many of you used to watch Cheers back years and years and years ago? Remember that song? Remember that song? You want to go where everybody knows your name. We, we desperately need relationship. God created us for relationship. If you look at the, at the creation, it says... Let us create man in our image. That's a plural pronoun he uses there. That is in the original Hebrew. That's intended. God exists as a plurality. The Trinity 
is, is difficult to understand. I don't know if we'll ever fully understand it being human. But you see it all throughout Scripture where the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are mentioned. Either two of them or all three of them. You see that they live in relationship. And then he creates man for relationship. And he puts Adam in the garden. And he sets him up with all these animals. And he says it's not good for him to be alone. So he creates woman. And what does Adam say? Finally. This is a, this is a translation, but it's a rough paraphrase. Finally, someone that fits me. Is what he says. That's our, that's our God. But we need that in so many different levels. The truth is a marriage isn't really meant to fulfill every, every depth of relationship need you have. We are, we are created to be in relationship with one another. So fellowship is something. Not only is it something we need. But we were created for. That regular close contact with people who share our goals. Share our ideas. Share our values. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but if maybe you've been, maybe it's, maybe it's what you experience every day at work, I don't know. But if you've ever been in a situation where you're around people who do not share all of those things, eventually it starts to wear you out, doesn't it? Wear you down, and you feel like, I can't wait to get into that refreshing circle of people that understand me, that get me, that know what I mean, and know, you know, so it's almost like, it's not that you necessarily finish each other's sentences, but it's not like you have to go into a total explanation because they understand who you are, where you come from, where you're going, why you're doing it, because you share that together. There's something about that fellowship that you spend time together, you pray together, you laugh, you work, you serve together. And maybe you have noticed this, maybe you haven't, but I would encourage you in this. We have planned fellowship that the church orchestrates. You you may not have thought of it like this, but there's this church, I love the design of this church with the lobby that we have. Most churches don't have that. Most churches, the lobby is basically just a, a way to get from inside to outside and not let the weather in. And, and the fact is, you lose the, the fellowship that we have here. It was intentional when we built that coffee shop. It wasn't about coffee. I, I love coffee. I do love coffee. Not as much as barbecue, but I love coffee. Um, I would drink coffee just because I love it. It has nothing to do with the caffeine. I love it. But that's not why we built that. It, we did that because we knew that it would facilitate fellowship. Fellowship. That word in the Greek is, is koinonia. It's a, it's a word that, that indicates and means it, an inner relationship, a giving and taking, a coming together, a meeting of the minds, a meeting of the soul. That's why we do that. The furniture, we talked about buying furniture for years. and Frankly, we couldn't afford it. We just, we just looked at it and we thought we need to do something else in the lobby to facilitate relationship. Because it's one thing if you, you know, in, in the service we have you shake hands and talk to a few people, and that's good. But, but what is that, like two minutes? And if it goes any longer than that, then I start getting looks from the, from the worship team. Like, hey, we got to get going here. Things need to go on. But, and that's good. But you really can't do much in between there. But, but the thing is, when we sit down and talk, that. That is something that's planned. It's intentional. We want you to do that. The same with our connect groups, with, with every one of the groups that we have. There's planned fellowship and the whole idea of a Sunday school class or, or even the events. The reason we do the picnic and the chili cook-off and those events, we talk about those all the time. What's the purpose of the event? The event, the whole purpose is for you to get together and get to know people you don't know. You know, when we do the fundraiser lunches for the youth, I mean, it's, of course, we want to raise money for the youth event, but 
One of the things I value about it is the opportunity for you to know people you don't already know. To sit with a couple that maybe you haven't ever talked to before and talk to them. Those are planned things, but what I really love is the spontaneous connection that we can make too. Have you ever had that? Where you maybe say, hey, you guys going out to lunch? Let's go together. Go to the same place. Let's eat together. You're going to eat anyway. We could do it together. I love, we were talking about this just with Pastor John coming on as a kid's pastor. We were looking at the calendar and um, we do this every week anyway, but as we were looking ahead, you know, now we're looking already into uh, August. Guess what starts happening in August again? No. Well, yeah, it does, but no. Practices for Christmas starts coming at the end of August. And and it was funny because on our staff, uh, Deborah was saying, oh, I don't have to do that anymore because her son's now out of kids and into youth. And I said, but man, the fellowship that that provided was awesome when our kids were in that. Because you're, you're here with other parents who their kids are in it too. And you, you all got two hours on your hands. What are we going to do? Let's go out to eat. That, is, that can be a problem with Christians. It makes us a little heavy sometimes. But um, does anybody know what this is? This is Bob's big boy. When I was a kid, this is where the church went to fellowship. After Sunday night service, that's where we went. It wasn't that one. That one's in, in like Hollywood or something. But uh, the one we went to in, in Chula Vista where I grew up, had that Bob's Big Boy dude right on the corner. And I will never forget that. Because those were times where I remember when I first started going as a young person, you know, the, the adults would sit over somewhere else. And then the youth, we would all get to sit by ourselves on the other side, as long as we didn't make too much noise or a mess and get in trouble. And then have to go sit with your mom. That was awkward. But <laughs> fellowship, fellowship. <laughs> this description this in Hebrews let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You know, when you think about what church is about and what we do in church, could you watch church on TV and get, you could worship with them, right? And you could get great teaching. Actually, really good teaching. There's some great teaching out there. I mean, whoever you want to listen to, whatever style, if you want to be yelled at, you got it. If you like it more calm and and, and demure, you, you got it. If you want verse by verse, you got You can get whatever you want. But you know what you can never get? You can never get fellowship. You cannot get that. You cannot get accountability. You can't get somebody to come up and say, how are you doing today? And how did your job interview go, Carol? You don't get that. You don't get it. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's move on. Uh, what's the most difficult thing about church? Look at that bad English. The most difficult things about church. What's one of the most difficult things about church? <laughs> it's funny how those good things are the bad things also. Is that what you're trying to say? Here's one. Th- there may be other bad things, but I'm just going to focus on this one. Uh, this, this verse right here is in the book of Ephesians. It's in a section really talking about family relationships. But I wanted to put this in here because it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Who likes to do that? Anybody? I see no hands. Just for the record, for the, for the tape, no hands, not one hand. Nobody really likes that. Most of us want our own way, right? And we want to be the one in charge and the one to decide what happens and when it happens. The thing about, I was, I was thinking about this too, we, when I went with the JBQ team to uh, Dallas this last week. And uh, for their competition, I drove for them and all that. And it was comical. It was just reminding me how it is because technically I wasn't in charge of this group. 
Deborah was. She was the coordinator for JBQ. So I wanted to respect that. So a lot of times I go to her and say, okay, Deborah, what do you want to do right here? Are, you, are we going to do this, this, this? And, you know, I, I wasn't trying to be pushy or drive the agenda, but I wanted to support her in the agenda. It was funny. At one point, she's like, I would rather not make any more decisions. Can you just decide? <laughs> And it's funny when you're with a group. You ever try to walk with a group through a, like, a, a, not a mall, but through, a, like, a shopping area? I mean, you watch as that group. It's kind of like an amoeba, and then pieces of it go into this store. And then you got someone over here, and you're trying to get here, and you've got time, and it's, we're hungry. And there has to be submission, though. If you, have you heard this before? Anything with more than one head is a freak? And it is. The fact is... For us to work in a church means there has to be mutual submission. I mean, we submit to each other. And there's times where, where it may not be what you want, but that's okay. It may not be the color you want. I, 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 I remember years ago hearing about a church that split over um, the color of carpet. And I've been in churches where I thought, I would split over this carpet because it is <laughs> ugly. But still, really are we people? Are we brothers and sisters in Christ? Can we just work this out and it not be my way this one time? And is it going to be okay? And maybe it could have been done better. I mean, the fact is, there's going to be times where we disagree. Now, there's some things that we're not going to give up on. I mean, there's like even with those Bible clubs I talked about, you know, years ago. Yeah, we're, we're still going to have the main things of the gospel is going to be the gospel. That's never going to change. There are, uh, there are non-negotiables, but there's a lot of things that, that become personal opinion that are negotiable, and we need to submit, and it can be difficult. I think about Philippians 2, 3. Don't be selfish. Do not try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. That's the New Living Translation, and I, I like that translation a lot, but I want to sh- juxtapose it with the, the NIV in a minute here, but... Do not be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. How many of us really, really do that? That we walk along and think of others as better than ourselves. If you did, how would life be different? And then in the NIV, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Let me go back right here. Don't be selfish is the same thing. But I think the NIV adds a color to this that I really like. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Ambition's a good thing. It is a good thing. But when it's selfish ambition is when it gets, gets evil and destructive, especially in a church. That's when it's unhealthy. Or vain and conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Man, if, if we did that, can you imagine how, how it would be? I heard the story once of these two motorists. You don't see this very often. I mean, occasionally here in Missouri, but when I, read, when I heard this story, I thought of it as in California because there's some bridges you cannot cross, especially on the coast. They're one-lane bridges. Do you know of any one-lane bridges really around here? It seems like they've changed all those, but, but it, I remember as a kid, my parents grew up in Northern California. There's places where you're on the coast, so you're already over the cliff, and it's one lane. And you see the other cars coming, and it... The, the rule is in California, whoever's going to get there first has the right of way. That's the law. But, but that's still a subjective, right? Who's going to get there first? Well, when I see him going and he's going to get there before me, I could speed up and get there before him, right? Right? So the story goes that these two guys do that and they meet in the middle of the bridge and the one guy leans out the window and he's like, I never give, give, give up my way for fools. And the other guy puts it in reverse and backs up and says, I always do. Backs up. 
man, if we would practice submission, again, as the church, and I'm talking about Crown Point, but as the church of Jesus Christ, can you imagine how many fewer issues we would have? I mean, it breaks my heart to see division in the church, any church, and I hear about a church having problems. I pray, because that is not the will of God. I don't know what the problem is or the solution necessarily, but I know it's not his will for that to be happening. Let me talk about this. Did you know God actually ordained certain servants for the church? This is an interesting thought. And I was thinking about the church and thinking about this. Um, let's, Let's just look at the scripture. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, does anybody know the number at this point? Bible scholars here. Actually, at this point, I believe it was, well, it was between three and five because we, we see three and then five. I want us to think about this for a minute. This church all counted in. We're running right around 400. That's kids and, and adults. This building seats 750, okay? They didn't have any buildings. You realize that, right? They would get together and, and, and pray like at the temple, but even the temple grounds weren't that big. So how do you manage a brand new organization with 3,000 people. What do you, how do you even communicate with them? How do you even talk to them? How do, you, how do you do anything together? I mean, you're meeting in different homes and you've got the disciples. They've never run anything. The most, the most probably education that they had in running a business, you'd have Matthew who had been a tax collector. So he would, have been, he would have had some type of experience that way. And perhaps the fishermen to some degree, but not like this. So look at this problem that rises up right away. The Greek-speaking believers, the church had already become multiracial, complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So they're already distributing food, taking care of the less fortunate. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. How they did that, where they did that, I have no idea. And they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it, and crass? Especially in our politically correct world we live in today. Basically what they're saying is our time could be better used doing this because there's other people who could be better used doing this. That's not bad. The fact is we all have a part to play and our, our, our part in the kingdom or wherever may not be as glamorous or what or the other. That, that wasn't, th- this has nothing to do with what's more important or what's better. What they're saying is this is what we are called to do. Someone else needs to run this program. So, brothers, we select seven men. I don't know how seven men could even run a church of 3,000, but who are well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in uh, prayer and teaching the word. So, who's the servant we're talking about? In the New Testament, they use the word deacon. You ever heard that word before? You know what that word means? It actually does mean servant. And if you go to the root Greek, I never knew this until preparing for the sermon. The root Greek actually means through the dust. Through the dust. As you would expect of a servant in that time, they would be doing a lot of work in the dust, serving their masters. That's how that word came about. In the New Testament, that word is translated different ways. In some contexts, it, the word is used, uh, well, I don't have how many times it's used. You can do the math in a minute here, but I guess it's used 31 times in the New Testament. 20 times it's translated minister, eight times translated servant, and three times translated deacon. 
depending on where it's used in Scripture, the same exact word or the root of that word. The reason I mention all that is to say that a lot of times we glamorize certain positions in the church and we forget that the root of that is service. Jesus modeled that by washing the disciples' feet. He was the ultimate servant leader. If anybody could have commanded attention or or grandiose titles or position, it would have been Christ. But that wasn't his nature, and that's not our nature. It shouldn't be our nature. The whole idea is that we should serve. It's interesting. I, I heard this analogy, and I, I, it's, I've been rolling it over in my mind for, for a long time. The, the analogy goes like this. Um, I know Kansas City was the destination of a lot of cattle drives. Growing up on the West Coast, you know, we think and hear about cattle drives a lot and kind of glamorize that period in American history. And, and uh, Carol and I were actually talking about that when we were in Texas, just thinking about going all the way from there, because we saw those longhorns, all the way up here on the horseback. Can you imagine that job? And I'm just thinking about those guys who did that job, and no doubt they'd get here, get paid. Who knows what would happen next, you know? They'd just go do it again. I don't know. But basically, you had three jobs on that. You had the point person guiding. You had the flankers. Then you had somebody whose whose job was a little less uh, glamorous. It was called uh, riding drag. You ever heard that? Can, can you think why that might be a little less glamorous? You're going to be eating dust all day long, right? And you're picking up the stragglers and trying to catch up. And you're trying to keep those who are out of line in line. That's the deacon job. It's not necessarily to set the vision and be in the front. That's what the pastor's called to do that. But their job is a lot of work. Thank God for godly deacons. Thank God for that. Look at, the, look at what they said, who, who to choose. Um, they said, well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom. That's exactly, exactly what the church needs. That's how it's supposed to be. I love that whole analogy, the whole idea behind that. Something else to think about with the church. You may not have thought about this, but the church is about change. A lot of times people in the world today have the idea that the church is about people trying to hold on to the way it was. What do we hold on to? Christ. We hold on to Christ and him crucified. I don't know if any of you have traveled abroad and met believers in other countries, but I'm always fascinated by how they do church. I always want to go to their church because that's where believers meet. And and I, I see how they do things similar but different. And then if you go to different even denominations, even if you go to different Assembly of God churches in different parts of the world, you're going to see things that are different. But what we hold on to is the same. We hold on to the same thing. Church, church is one of those things because, you see, Jesus is all about change and about growth and all about it. So I read this quote. It kind of hit me between the eyes. It said, if you do not like change in your church or your personal life, you'll want to avoid Jesus. Because he's all about change and growth. Think about this with me for a minute. If you've been in church any amount of time at all, this group of people that we call Crown Point Church, let's just take us for a minute, changes. It changes from week to week to month to month to year to year. People come in who are part of this church or been part of this church, and they'll say, wow, there's a lot of new faces. Or they'll say, wow, this is different, or this is different, or this is different, but we're still this church. You cannot have a church that stays exactly the same and is growing in Christ. Because if people, someone moves, let's say, the church changes. The, the, the personality, the ethos of this body will change. If people are getting saved, what happens? The church changes. 
People are going to come in with different needs or different concerns or different ideas, and the church is going to change. And sometimes it gets uncomfortable, like, hey, they're changing my thing, something I like. That's why Jesus, when he talked about it, he said, he was talking about the changes because they were, he was being challenged by the Pharisees, and they were saying, you don't do everything like the way we did it. And he said, no one puts new wine in old wineskins. He's talking about the gospel here. The old wineskins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine, ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. The thing is, healthy things grow, but can be awkward sometimes. It's going to change. You know what else? Conflict is good. I know that sounds a little bit like contradicting what I said before, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? But it's not. The fact is that the conflict, if handled in a healthy, good way, is a good thing. It can open your eyes up to things you hadn't thought before. Because it's, it's easy just to go the same way and do everything the same in your way, my way, all the time. But if we're honest, that's not really necessarily a healthy thing. And we don't all have every idea and everything worked out at every moment. The truth is there's going to be times when we're going to disagree. Think about this. Those of you who work out, I could... I could I could have Chris come up and do a whole class on this, I bet. Not tonight. The fact is, you grow muscle by tearing it down. It's, it's the stress on it that grows it. And if you sit in a sedentary way, what happens is the muscle atrophies. I think I, when, I, when I was in the hospital for two months with my foot, my leg, um, I know I lost 30-some pounds. But guess what? My pants fit the same. I just lost muscle. It was It was sad. It was ridiculous. I remember when I w- first went to therapy, I came in and, and this guy at our church, he had a, he had a large uh, chiropractic therapy uh, center. Like he, he worked, he did like the, all the sports medicine for Fuller, Cal State Fullerton and all this. I walked in and he's like, Dennis, your whole glute is gone. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, your whole glute is gone. You didn't notice that? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's gone. Totally gone. That's what happens. But conflict actually makes things grow. It, I know it doesn't seem, it's not something we necessarily want. I don't like conflict. I don't look for it. But the fact is, I have to be honest about the fact that it's a good thing. Think about this. If you never encounter problems or conflict, what happens when something big happens? You won't be ready. You won't be prepared. The church has to go through things like that and work them out in a healthy way. That's the key. That's the difference. The fact is, Jesus mentions this in this section of scripture right here. This is Matthew 18. This is a really interesting piece of scripture because in context, I didn't put the rest of those verses up, but the next two sections of scripture are, are, are taken out of context regularly because this is the context. If another believer sins against you, that's conflict, go privately and point out the offense. That's where we all make the mistake. You know that, right? What do we do? We tell somebody. Because you want to get someone on your side, but you say it like this. I just want to know if I, I want to know if I'm hearing this right or if I'm feeling it right. I just want to know if I'm, if, if I'm, if I got the right idea here, right? But that's not usually the healthy way to do it. What Jesus says, just Jesus, by the way, this would be in red if, if you had one of those Bibles. Go privately and point out the offense. If the person, other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. Look at the goal. Is the goal to win the argument? It's the goal is to win the relationship back. And he says, but if you are unsuccessful, then take two, one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. 
You see that, the two or three witness thing? That was a big thing in their day. It's big in our day too, but in their day it was a big deal. Two or three witnesses meant something was real and solidified. It was a legal thing. And what Jesus did is brought that into the church and he said, look, if this is not working out, at least take it there so you've got some other people to verify this. If the person still refuses, take that, your case to the church. Then if, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. Now that is harsh. I hope we never would come to that. I've only seen that happen in church a couple times and I, I don't want to ever see it again. Don't. I want to see people live in unity. The other two parts of scripture right there, uh, verse 18 says, I tell you the truth, whatever you, you forbid or in the King James says bind, bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then the next verse, section of verses says, I tell you this, if two or three agree concerning anything, uh, you ask in my father, I will do it for you. And where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with you. All that is in context of discipline. Let me, let's just quickly get through the rest of this. You know what I love about church is variety. No two churches are the same. Have you noticed that? I, even if they're the same, like you, you, this is getting to be more and more common where a church not only plants a church, but they call it like a, there's different relationships they can have where they put the staff in. And some of our big national, uh, really mega churches are doing that now where they've got, like I know there's a, Greg Groschel's got a church down in uh, Lenexa or something that's like, I think it's Life Church or something like that. I know Stephen Furtick is doing that all over the country where they're kind of trying to have churches just like their church. In fact, one of them, I was, I was looking on YouTube and I was, uh, someone had recommended that I listen to this sermon and I typed in the title and it came up and I'm thinking, hmm, that doesn't look like Stephen Furtick, but it was word for word. I was like, oh my goodness, this guy's preaching word for word, but it's one of their satellite churches. But, but in general, you, churches have different, they're different. You notice that? In the assemblies, they're even more different probably than other. You can go to assembly to assembly to assembly to assembly. They're going to be different because we're all autonomous from the national organization. The churches were connected to the organization because us as pastors agree to the, the fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. But then the church is going to take on the character of the people in the church and the way the, the worship leader, Pastor Nick, leads and the way the preacher preaches and the way the leaders lead the different ministries. It's going to be different. I celebrate that, actually, because I think we serve a God that is about variety. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in creation, there's incredible variety. Even in our human bodies. I mean, we all know about fingerprints being different. But, but have you heard or know that there's so many other differences? The hair patterns on your head are different. Did you know that? I mean, identically, like different wherein that you could be, you could be uh, they're different, unique for each person. Voice prints, retinas. Did you know we all have lines on our bodies that you can't see? I just saw this the other day. It was really amazing because they're talking about how like zebras and all that have lines. We have lines and they follow. You can see them under certain light and they follow kind of the nerves in your body. It's really bizarre looking. And they're, they're unique to each individual human being. They're even, they were talking about how that that may one day be the thing that we use because it's even more exact than, than our retinas and whatever. I don't know, whatever. There's even variety in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as similar as they are, are different. <laughs> How about this? Have you ever heard anybody say, I go to a New Testament church? What, what would that be exactly? You, you know the Bible. What would that be? Are you talking about the Corinthian church? Because that was a wild church. That was a messed up church. <laughs> but they were serving God, and they were, they were changing their community, but they had issues that were being addressed by Paul over and over and over. He's correcting things. 
The Philippian church, he's collect, correcting things. The church, the church in, in uh, Philip, uh, that was the church in Philippi. The church in Colossae, in Colossians, he's correcting things. The fact is, when you want to look at a New Testament church, there was this girl I knew in college. When I first went to college, I went to a state university, and there was a girl, she was a Christian, I was a Christian. I could tell she was a Christian, she was, she was a Christian, no doubt. Uh, and then she lived near where I did, so she'd have a car, occasionally I'd give her a ride home. And then I found out she was part of, and I'm not trying to, this is not about that church, but it was a church of Christ. They don't believe in singing with music, you know, that kind of church. So she invited me to her church, and then I was supposed to go, to, she was supposed to come to my church. She never did that, of course, but I went to her church, and then her pastor wanted to meet with me and all this, and he said, we're a New Testament church. I said, really? Do y'all speak in tongues? And that was it. That's all I had to say. Because he was saying, well, they didn't have instruments in the New Testament. I said, how do you even know that? For one thing, I'm sure they did. They were Jews. They, they love to celebrate. I'm sure they had a tamarind at least, but you can't be New Testament and not speak in tongues, I'm just saying, it's in there, and you didn't do it, and that was it, but we want to be New Testament, but the fact is, when you look at the New Testament, five of the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation in chapters two and three, Jesus had issues with that church, every church has issues, but let's get to the main thing I want to talk to you about tonight, how much more time do you have, just kidding. The church needs to be about prayer. You need to be about prayer. I'm going to just race through these scriptures. Uh, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship, which we've talked about, and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers and prayers. All of these were one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That's Acts 1.14. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Acts 12.5. And again, this is a time where they didn't have a building. These are house churches all around the area praying, praying, praying. You must also help us keep, uh, by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. <laughs> Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's all about bearing burdens and praying for one another. You know, one of the things about praying as a church, there's times where we pray like this and we don't always hear the answers to prayer. Sometimes we do. And I love when we get to report things to you. Something happened to me really weird. It was weird just because I didn't intend to do this, but the, the girls were all gone. It was just me and Theo, and he, and, I, and he wasn't feeling good. I said, is there anything that sounds good to you? He said, KFC. I'm like, uh, okay. We don't do that ever, but okay. All right. So I went to the KFC over on 7 Highway, and I walked in, and there's a lady who comes a lot of times to prime timers, but I hadn't seen her because she didn't come the last month. And she said, oh, my gosh, can't believe you're here. I'm like, me either. <laughs> like, she said, well, I, I needed to tell you this, but I, I didn't know how to do it. But remember, she says, remember we prayed so that she had missed that month. So she, remember we prayed a month ago for that. I, I had an unspoken request. If you've never heard of that, that's when someone wants you to pray for something, but they're not comfortable telling you what it is. So you just pray, trusting God knows what it is. I didn't really remember. I didn't remember. But we prayed. And she said, God answered that prayer. I can't tell you what it was, but I needed to tell you he answered. I've never had anybody ever tell me that one of those prayers were answered. And I remember standing there thinking, God made Theo want KFC because she needed to share that and she said I won't be at the next meeting either but I needed to let you know he answered this prayer and I think about so often we we hesitate to pray or 
You know, maybe as we're reading off these requests and you think, well, I don't have cancer. It's not that big a deal or I'm not in the hospital or but but the, the church needs to pray and we need to pray for each other and care about these things and lift them up. And we need to share those victories when they come. Last thing I'm going to tell you. The church needs to be about health over growth. There's a lot of ways to grow. I had one youth guy years ago say, any circus can draw a crowd. But here's the thing. Jesus cares more about your health than he does your growth. He actually cares more about your health, your spiritual health I'm talking about, than anything else. And we come to him with other needs, and that's appropriate. But what matters most is, is our relationship with him and the health of a church. A healthy church will not only be attractive, but it'll also be repulsive. A healthy church will be attractive, to people who want health and want more of God, and it'll be repulsive to those who don't. It just will. And it'll be convicting to those who won't. And you know what? A healthy church will grow because healthy things grow. This verse hit me really hard not too long ago. We've all read it a million times. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, the version, the version um, this is New Living Translation, but, and it says, look, instead of behold, I just like behold better. You know this was written to the church, right? It's written to you. I always saw it, you know, we had that picture up in my parents' house with Jesus knocking on the door, and it was always used as an evangelistic verse. It's not. It's written to the church. It's written to you. Hit your health, you sharing a, a meal with him is the most important thing. A meal, something about a meal together that's more relationship building than almost any other thing. It's your choice, though. It's your choice whether or not you'll open the door, whether you will invite him into your life, and whether you'll share a meal. But if you will, then you'll be healthy and you'll be friends. That's what the church should be about. Let me, let me ask you to close your eyes for just a minute. And I just want to ask you that question. It's, it's rhetorical. But you, 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 between you and God, you just need to answer that. He's knocking. He's consistently and constantly knocking. Not only at the door of the church, but at your door, the door of your heart. And he just wants to know, will you let me in? Will you have this relationship with me? What I'd like you to do is, David, if you could put some music on, and then I'd just like you to answer that between you and him for just a minute. It, it may take more than long, more than that for you, I don't know. But I just want you to answer that question between you and him. Because he's calling all of us to a deeper relationship with him. And as we individually have that deeper relationship, then the church will have that deeper relationship. And we will be more effective in reaching this world for him. God, we, I'm going to pray as if I'm speaking for everybody. We do invite you in. We open that door. We want you in. And we want that relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to have that. In time with your word, in time with prayer in time with other believers. God, we need and want that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you tonight. You're welcome to pray. You're welcome to go. Whatever God's calling you to do.